it's Dan. I want to welcome you to a new nook in the Tradeoffs universe. We're calling this segment the Research Corner. It's a chance for us to catch you up on some of health policy's newest, most interesting studies and what they mean for all of us. Today, our occasional co-host, Harvard economist and physician Bapu Jenna joins us in a new role as the Podfessor. Yeah, Podfessor. From the Annenberg Studio at the University of Pennsylvania, I'm Dan Gorenstein, and this is Tradeoffs. Bapu, how are you? I'm doing good, Dan. Thanks for asking. Nice to hear your voice again, sir. So look, you have brought in a couple of papers for us to talk about. Uh, The first one is about masks. The debate over wearing face masks is creating a sharp divide among some Americans. This morning, face mask controversy after this outburst caught on camera in a Los Angeles grocery store. Governors who said we don't need to do this, masks don't work. Now they're doing a 180. At the highest level, Bapu, what's the question the researchers are asking? This is a paper that was published uh, just a couple weeks ago in Health Affairs. And at a high level, what they're basically trying to do is understand whether a state-level mandate to wear masks is effective in reducing the growth in cases of COVID-19. That's, that's the take-home question of the paper. During the study's time frame, 15 states plus Washington, D.C. passed public mask mandates, requiring that everyone everywhere in the state wear masks, though the researchers couldn't actually confirm what percent of people complied. They basically compare states that had uh, mask mandates to states that didn't. And it's an important question to ask because we're trying to figure out what will help. Social distancing, new medicines, uh, closing schools getting people to wear a mask, which of the things that we're doing are going to be effective. Uh, The things that are effective, we should do more of, and the things that are not effective, uh, we obviously shouldn't do. And so what did they find? How effective are these mask mandates? So, you know, what they find actually is that if you look almost immediately after a state enacts a a mandate, there is a reduction in the COVID-19 case growth. Bapu accepts the paper's main finding, mask mandates slow the spread of COVID cases. But he says the paper's other finding, an attempt at estimating the exact number of cases that mandates have prevented, is much trickier business. Do I think that the number is between 200 and 500,000 as the authors estimate? I think that's a much harder question to answer. With so many policies and behaviors changing at the same time, school closures, office shutdowns, social distancing, Bapu says it's hard to tease out precisely how many cases each individual action prevented. And that raises the question in my mind is, are we really picking up the effect of this ban? Are we picking up other things that states may have been doing uh, around the same time? And that's always the challenge with these kinds of studies is, Was it the effect of this policy or were there other policies or other actions that individuals were privately taking that are timed around the same period that were causing these effects? Has this study changed how you, as a researcher, as a scientist, as a father and a husband, as a doctor who has to go in and come back home, think about masks, Bapu? I think it has I think it has a little bit. I mean, I was going to let me put it this way. Had this study not been published, would I stop wearing masks? And the answer is no. But I don't know that I would feel comfortable saying that the state has to mandate people uh, to wear the mask. And the number of deaths that are going to be averted here is potentially large. 
And so that, in my mind, means that policymakers have to take this seriously and, and, and probably need to act on it. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. So, Bapu, so that's the mask paper that you brought in. You also have another paper that has nothing to do with COVID about Flint and the aftermath of the lead crisis in people's water. What's this paper all about? Let me give you the backdrop here. September of 2015 in Flint, Michigan, uh, where uh, they discovered large amounts of lead uh, in the water. The trouble began two years ago when the state decided to switch Flint from Detroit's drinking water to a new system. And what happened as a result was this huge uh, public crisis and effort to get people tested for lead. Children in Flint now have double and in some cases triple the levels of lead in their blood and a federal emergency was declared last weekend. That public health disaster prompted lots of parents in Flint to take their kids to their PCPs, that's their primary care providers, for lead testing. Doctors' visits that parents in other cities were not being prompted to make. And that gave this study's authors a unique chance to test one of healthcare's age-old questions. Does more primary care access actually produce better health outcomes at lower costs? It's an idea a lot of people talk about very difficult to study. Uh, and the reason why is because we can't randomize patients to have PCPs and randomize patients to not have PCPs and then study what is the impact of having a PCP. But this Flint crisis created what's known as a natural experiment, a silver lining to random, sometimes terrible events that let you study things you couldn't otherwise. And that is exactly what these researchers did. They find two things. One is that lead testing and uh, access to primary care went up immediately after the crisis um, occurred. And then the second thing is they find that emergency room visits for primary care treatable conditions, those visits fell by about 8%. And is that a good thing, staying out of the ED? Why is this an important finding? So staying out of the ED is a good thing if you don't need to be in the ED. Of course, if you need to be in an emergency department, then you absolutely should go. Uh, I think the study, what, what the study shows is a good thing, is it adds some meat, some data to this idea that physicians have long discussed and thought about, which is that primary care isn't just about cancer screening. It's not only about wellness visits, but it can be something more. It can be something that helps prevent expensive care use, like hospital care or emergency care. That's an attractive idea, an idea that a lot of doctors and other health care professionals have thought about, uh, but have been unable to rigorously show. So, Bapu, 
emergency room use spending went down, but overall, what did the authors find when it came to total spending? So what they actually found here was that there was a statistically significant increase in uh, Medicaid spending. And I presume the reason why is because office visits went up, ED visits went down, but they didn't go down by enough so that in aggregate money was saved. Now, that is not to say that that's a, uh, necessarily a bad thing. Remember, that we're, this study is about kids. And you know one of the things that we know kids need to have uh, is vaccines. And what the study showed was that getting kids access to primary care did lead to an increase in subsequent uh, vaccination rates and suggested that the primary care that these kids are now getting uh, was delivering some benefits. Right. So you you see this result and uh, on the first blush, you're excited like, all right, EDUs went down. That's fantastic. But then you look at total spending, spending goes up and there's a temptation to be like, oh, this isn't good. This is actually bad. But actually, it seems like this is sort of sufficiently sufficiently murky. What's the take home for you? That does raise this idea that, all right, if there are certain types of primary care that actually do reduce healthcare spending, what if we could figure out what those types of care were? Who were the types of patients who benefited? I think that would be an interesting insight to, to have because it would suggest that those are the types of patients who we, you know, we might double down on in terms of establishing access to primary care. So it's interesting, Bapu, the Flint crisis gave researchers a rare chance to study what happens when people seek more care. But with COVID, it's the opposite natural experiment, right? With lots of folks skipping or delaying their care. And the question would seem to be, what's the impact of that going to be? The opposite natural experiment is, is exactly right. And I suspect that we are going to see a lot of studies in the upcoming months or years that look at whether or not delays in care have had impacts on uh, outcomes. What we know for sure is that during this period, spending on those conditions is going to be going down. We know that because people aren't seeing the doctor. What we don't know is how much worse, if at all, outcomes are going to be and I think this would be a great natural experiment to try to unpack what are those areas where we need to be doing more and where are those areas where we could get away with doing less. Bapu, it sounds like you got to get busy. Got to start researching this question. I got to start researching this question. You're absolutely right. <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you talking to us? Get, get out of here. I know. I'll see you later. <laughs> great. <laughs> great talking to you as always, Bapu. It's, it's always a pleasure to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Today's papers were by Shushan Danagulian, Daniel Grossman, and David Slusky, who wrote the NBER working paper on Flint, and Wei Liu and George Webby, who published on mask mandates in health affairs. Links to both papers are on our website, tradeoffs.org. I'm Dan Gorenstein. This is Tradeoffs. If you enjoyed today's episode of Trade-Offs, leave us a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. You can keep in touch with us between episodes by following us on Twitter at TradeOffsPod or sign up for our newsletter at TradeOffs.org. The Trade-Offs team is producers Ryan Levy and Vicki Stern, intern Sabrina Ems, sound designer Andrew Perella, and editor Leslie Walker. 
The Trade-Offs theme song was composed by Ty Sitterman with additional music this episode from Blue Dot Sessions. Thanks also to all our listeners who helped to support our work, including Judy and Roger Wallenstein and Carrie Sadovnik. Trade-Offs is supported by the California Healthcare Foundation, Arnold Ventures, and the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. Additional support from the Leonard Davis Institute of Health Economics and the Center for Public Health Initiatives at the University of Pennsylvania. The views expressed in this episode are those of the individuals and not those of Trade-Offs staff, advisors, or funders. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.